How many people love that movie? Yeah, love the moment. Actually, I like any movie like that. I love, I love the, 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 the moment in the movie where like these people are like, I'm so devoted to this thing, I'm ready to like go and fight and kill and die for this thing, right? Like, how cool is that? And I love that part of the movie um, because I know I'm not that guy. I'm the guy who says, yeah, no, I think I'm gonna run home. Anybody need Starbucks before I go? Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not the give my life for the cause kind of a dude. Now, don't get me wrong. I am grateful that there are people who are that person because I, uh, the, the truth is I get to go get Starbucks because people have given themselves, have put their life on the line for my freedom. For my, I'm grateful that there are people that are devoted enough to the cause of freedom that they're willing to do whatever it takes, pay whatever um, price. Men and women throughout the, the, the books of history are littered with men and women who have been willing to do that. And thank God that they have. I just know when I watch a movie like this, I am keenly aware I am not that person. Right? I'm just, I, I just, I'd be surprised if there comes a moment when I decide, hey, yeah, there's something that I'm willing to kill or die for. Um, but but the, that's, what the, that's what the movies tell you devotion is all about. It's what are, are, do you have anything that you're willing to fight for? Um, <coughs> anybody have this cough that's lingering for like three weeks? Anybody else there? So, just so you know, that may be a part of the sermon today. Um, <clears throat> Take from it what you will. Anyway, uh, so I know that that's what, that's what devotion is supposed to feel like. The, the willingness to pay any price um, for, a, for a cause, for an ideal. But uh, today I, I want to talk about devotion the way that the writers of the New Testament talked about devotion. Um, and I, what, what you have to realize, we're, talk, we're not talking about people who didn't know what it meant to die for a cause, right? The writers of the New Testament, people like Peter... And Paul, people like Luke, uh, who wrote what we're going to study today. These guys knew what it meant to give their, their lives for a cause. But what's interesting is when they talk about devotion, that's not what they talk about. Devotion isn't about giving their lives for a cause. Actually, now, what you might not know, uh, maybe you do, is that these writers, all of them wrote right after the time of Jesus. And, and when they wrote, they wrote their, um, these letters, these these New Testament writings in a different language, they wrote it in Greek. And so the word that we translate as devoted is actually a word uh, that's pronounced proskatereo. And it's a, it's a Greek word. Don't worry, I'm not going to make you repeat it after me. Um, <clears throat> it's, a, it's, it's a Greek word that's used uh, quite a few times throughout, throughout the New Testament. Um, and it's used in our text for today. Now, um, our text for today, it... it, it follows exactly right after what David preached about last week. David, David talked about uh, the, the, the moment of Pentecost, the moment where um, right after Jesus was, had, had died, was buried, rose from the dead, appeared, and then Jesus said, wait for the gift, right? Wait for the Holy Spirit, and they waited. And then came this amazing moment where tongues of fire came to rest on them, and, and then Peter preaches the very first Christian sermon. And what the, the miracle wasn't just that there was a, a Christian sermon. The miracle was that um, every single person who had come from all over the place, all over the world, who spoke different languages, everybody heard Peter speak there. When he was speaking, they heard it in their own 
language. That was the crazy, miraculous thing that happened. And after, at the end of that happening, you know, the Bible says that 3,000 men were saved, to that, saved at that day and added to their numbers. And that doesn't count the women and children. We're talking about thousands and thousands of people who just started. This is the very beginning, the birth of the church. There is no church. It's just a bunch of people who listened to a sermon, who listened to a message, believed it, and said, now what does that mean? And our verse for today, we're actually only going to study one verse of scripture today, and our verse for today is, a, is, is part of a description of what it meant for those very first people to follow Jesus. And here's what it says. Acts 2.42 says, they devoted, excuse me, <coughs> get used to it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, this word devoted, this proskatereo word, it is, um, it's a word that's used throughout the New Testament, but it's not what we think of when we think of sort of devotion to a cause. It's actually better translated to keep on or to continue or to never stop, or to follow closely, or to persevere. Devotion, in the, in the context that the New Testament writers use it, it's, it's not about feeling, it's not about how you feel. Like, yeah, I'm going to go kill these people for my cause. It's not about a feeling. It's not about whipping people into a frenzy for the cause. No, for the early church, being devoted wasn't a function of emotion. It was a function of time. It's not like uh, Luke, the writer here, says, and everybody got really excited about the apostles' teaching. That's not what devoted means. Everybody got really excited about fellowship and prayer. That's not what devoted means. No. No, it's more like these people persevered in prayer. These people chose to spend their time in fellowship. These people arranged their lives around the teaching of the apostles. That's, that's what we're talking about. Devoted isn't an emotional thing. It's not about emotion. It's about time. It's about choice. It's about perseverance. And so, I, before we got into what they were devoted to, I just want us to understand what devotion looks like. It's not a, an emotional thing. It is a choice about how we spend our time and our energy, and our focus. And so let's dig in then. The, the writer, Luke, says, here, these people, right after this huge thing that happened, this big event called Pentecost, and then all of these thousands of people decided to follow Jesus. There is no church, but let's figure out what it was that they looked like. And he said they devoted them. They arranged their lives around four things. And the first one is they devoted themselves to the apostles' Teaching. Now, what is the apostles' teaching? That's a pretty easy answer, actually. Um, the apostles' teaching is what we call the gospel. Now, um, the word gospel is kind of a weird word, and it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Maybe for you, when I say gospel, what comes to your brain is like a style of music, right? Or maybe it's like you grew up in church, and the gospel was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. Those are the gospels. Um, for me, I like to use the word gospel to make myself feel important. Um, like, for instance, on, uh, on Wednesday, when everybody was holed up in their house, right? 
Um, we were kind of, we were all, you know, batting down. Nobody leaves the house. Like, Mandy was like, uh, my wife, it's from California, grew up in California. And so she, uh, she was positive that if you spent eight seconds outside, you're just going to die. You're probably going to die. Anyway, so we didn't leave our house at all that whole day. And so the, in the morning, I was sitting at, at the kitchen table, and I was working on my sermon. And Mandy walks up and said, hey, could, do you think you could help me move this? It was a heavy thing. And I, and I said, how dare you interrupt the ministry of the gospel? That's the kind of way I use the word gospel. I might have gotten an eye roll. There might have been an eye roll involved in that. Anyway, um, but the word gospel, it, it kind of, it's kind of formal, right? And it, I think it's so formal that I think we lose the meaning of what it is. But, but the, the gospel is simple. The gospel is a story. The gospel is the story of Jesus who comes to earth, lives a perfect life, chooses to give that life up on a cross for the sake of our sins, is buried in the tomb, raises to life three days later, and then appears to his followers before being taken up into heaven. That's it. That's the gospel. That's the story. And it's a weird story. I'll, I'll give you that. It's a story that's hard to believe, honestly. But it was, the, it was the story that was the centerpiece of the apostles' teaching. They didn't have, they didn't have a bunch of writings. They didn't have the New Testament to go to to, to talk about um, all their theolo the theological ramifications of that. What they did was they had a story that they had lived. I knew this guy. I knew this guy. I watched him. I watched him give up his life. I watched them take him off of that cross. I know he was in that tomb. And I saw him after he was raised from the dead. That's the apostle. I got goosebumps thinking about it. This is, this is the gospel, a real story that real people experience. And that they, they, their lives were radically altered. And here's what I'll say. It wasn't just the centerpiece of the apostles' teaching. It's the centerpiece of what we believe. As hard as it is to believe when you first hear that story, it is the centerpiece of what we believe. And it's not because it was a cool story back then. It's because though Jesus appeared to his disciples right afterwards, we believe that he is continuing to appear to people up until today. He continues to, to appear in my life. He continues to appear in your life. He shows up in the prison. He shows up when we're at our worst. He shows up in the, in the face of our kids. Jesus continues to appear to his people and people's lives continue to be radically altered, radically changed. That's the gospel. And so, so what does it mean? If that's the gospel, what does it mean to be dedicated to the gospel, to be devoted to the gospel? Um, <coughs> Semi-regularly, I have somebody come up to me after church, and, um, and they'll say something, and they're, they're wonderful, they're always a wonderful person, desperately looking um, to follow Jesus, and they'll walk up to me and they'll say this, they'll say, Eric, I totally understand the importance of the gospel, I get the centrality of the gospel, but do you ever, sometimes it, it gets a little bit like every sermon ends up sometime saying something about the gospel, I, I feel, and, they, and then what they want to say is, I just feel like I want to go deeper. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I just want to go deeper. And what I want to say, as, as lovingly as I can, what are you talking about? There is nothing deeper than the gospel. 
Now there, here's what I know. Mostly, most often when somebody says that to me, it's not, again, it's not because they're a bad person. It's because what they really want is more knowledge, right? What they really want is, I want, you to, I want, I want somebody to, to say something I haven't heard yet. I want more knowledge. And what I want to say is that knowledge is great. Knowledge is not a bad thing. Knowledge is a wonderful thing. But knowledge isn't deeper than the gospel. Let's not say I want to go deeper than just the gospel. Because the gospel is the deepest truth that exists in the universe. It is the center of all history. It is the crux of how people relate to their creator. It is the deepest truth of all that the perfect creator would take imperfect people like you and me and show us unbelievable grace and that somehow we're supposed to turn that grace around and show that to the people that we come in contact with. with. And it's why every single part of scripture points to it. It is the secret of life. People talk about the secret of life. Not that hard to find. Jesus gave it to us. The gospel is the secret of life. It's the deepest truth. There is not a single page in your Bible that doesn't point in some way to Jesus. The gospel. What does it mean to be dedicated, to be devoted to the gospel? It means that we Never pretend that there is something deeper than that. We never pretend that there is something more important. There's knowledge out there. And getting knowledge, getting biblical knowledge is great. But every single piece of that biblical knowledge points to the gospel. Every single piece of that biblical knowledge gets us to the reality that Jesus. And so what does it look like to devote ourselves to the gospel? It means we never stop digging deeper into the deepest truth that there is. It means when we read scripture, we read it through the lens of the gospel. They devoted themselves over and over. You look through the writings, years after this, what is everybody writing about? The gospel. What did they talk about in the temple courts? The gospel. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay, I need to keep moving. We're never going to get through this stuff. All right. <coughs> I'll blame my longness on the cough. Um, okay. Uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the first thing that they devoted themselves to. The second thing is they devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, you have to understand what the, what the lives of these apostles looked like. It wasn't like there was a church to go to, right? Because this whole thing is brand spanking new. The lives of these believers, they, they don't have a church to go to. Here's what, here's what they, their lives looked like. It says every day, this is just a couple verses later, it says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere Heart. There was no church to go to. There were no church programs. There, were no, there was no youth group. There was no small group. There was no church services at 9 o'clock and 10.30. That's not how this worked. That's not what church looked like. That's not what life as a believer looked like. What it looked like was they would all go every day to the temple. Now, the temple had a court that was enormous. I've been there. It is gigantic. Tons of space 
for people. And that's what people would do. They would come to the temple courts and they would, they would gather in small groups, sometimes medium-sized, large-sized groups, to talk about um, the, the, the Torah, the, the scripture, the Old Testament scripture. And so they would gather around rabbis, different rabbis would do teaching all over the place. And so the, the Christians, these early believers, that's how they started. They were like, where do you go to talk about things that matter? You go to the temple courts. And so they all just went to the temple every day. And they would go and, the, and somebody would do teaching. One of the apostles would speak to them. They'd go to the temple courts every day and then they'd go home. And then what else are you going to do? Well, they, they spent a lot of time eating in each other's homes, hanging out with each other. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. And sometimes I, it wasn't church like we think it was church. It was just like life. Here's this new, new aspect of who I am. And why wouldn't I go and learn more about it and then share it with the people that I love, Right? That was just what it was. It was life. It wasn't some program. It wasn't some strategy. There was nobody paid like me to, you know, preach a sermon. It was just, let's just do life. Let's figure out life together. And I got to say, um, I know I'm a pastor and I probably shouldn't say this, but sometimes I think having a church gets in the way of being the church. You know, like having a having program sometimes just gets in the way of being the church. And I, that's a hard thing to say because I, I think sometimes in our life we need the structure of those programs. But the truth was, at this point in time, they weren't worried about programs. They weren't worried about creating something. They were just devoted to each other. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and they were devoted to each other. And it was just life. Just life. And it's one of the reasons why I actually... It's one of the reasons I really love the way we've been talking about small groups lately. Used to be you'd come to our church and we would do like once or twice a year, we'd do like this big push where we'd say, we want to get everybody in a small group. You decide what day of the week you want and we'll like, we'll find other people who want to do that same day and we'll squash you together in a group and you don't know anybody, but you're going to like get super deep with them, okay? Like virtual strangers, you're going to bury your soul. That sounds like a great idea, right? Um, uh, well, the reason I love the way that we've been talking about small groups is because I think it's more connected to just being devoted to the people that we have relationship with already. So we say things like, hey, um, we know that you've got people that you know and love. We know you've got people that you hang out with, people that you like. Um, and so here's what we want to do. We just want to help you create opportunities to have conversation, have spiritual conversation, dig in to be devoted to each other. And so we say, hey, go pick up a, a grow book and let's do four weeks where we discuss what it means to grow in our faith with, with each other. And some of you guys are doing it with other friends here in church. Some of you guys are doing it with people outside of church. Some of you are doing it with your family. Um, and again, that's what I think it was like. It wasn't like, nobody's, nobody went to everybody that, that day. All right, we've got 5,000 people. That means we need 583 small groups. I need, to, I need volunteers for leaders for small groups, and let's hook you. No, 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 this was just life. You just, you know each other, you love each other. Make sure you're dedicated, you're devoted to each other, to fellowship. So um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They have devoted themselves 
to fellowship, and then they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on this, but I do want to say a couple of things. Number one, the breaking of bread actually refers to two things, and there's lots of um, debate about which one it refers to. I would suggest it refers to both. Um, but the, the breaking of bread, it, it refers, number one, to sharing a meal with somebody. It's connected with the fellowship part, right? That sharing a meal with somebody is, was something that they did on a regular basis. Also, it's clearly connected to what we call communion, what we just did not very long ago. Um, breaking of bread, Jesus broke the bread and he, and he said, when you do this, remember me, right? So it's clearly connected to that. So they devoted themselves to this practice of communion. So I think the breaking of bread is actually connected both with fellowship, the way that they were devoted to fellowship, and with the way they were devoted to the gospel because the, the breaking of bread, the communion that we take every week. And it's funny, I grew up taking communion like once every three months. Anybody else do that? Like it was like kind of a special thing that we waited for and we did it once every, and we do it every week here. And honestly, that's been super weird for me to do it every week. And I always, when I first started doing that, I started thinking like, it's just not special. It's just like, it doesn't feel special. You know what's funny? David, our lead pastor, he takes communion every single day. Sometimes multiple times a day. And the whole, and for him, it's about why wouldn't I want to keep the gospel at the front of my mind? And it's a hard argument to make because when, uh, against that, because it basically, the, the feeling in the New Testament is whenever anybody ate, it was like communion. They broke the bread, they gave thanks, and they remembered that Jesus' body was broken for them. So they devoted themselves to this practice of communion because they wanted to be devoted to the gospel. So they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and then they devoted themselves to prayer. <coughs> now, being devoted to prayer. Have you, have you ever known anybody who's devoted to prayer? I have known people who are devoted. I've known people who will tell me things like, I get, I get woken up in the middle of the night and God tells me to pray for somebody. And I'm like in awe because that's never happened to me because I sleep like a rock. Um, but I, uh, people who are devoted, I, I would love to be more devoted to prayer. Um, and I, I gotta say, I, I believe in the importance of prayer. I believe, how on earth are we going to get to know God if we don't talk to him? If, he's, if he is real, and if he is still appearing to his people, how, how on earth are we supposed to get to know God unless we talk to him, unless we connect with him? I believe in the power of prayer. I don't always know how it works. I don't, like, I don't know how to twist God's arm into getting my way. But I believe in the power of prayer. And so I, I, I have to say, um, for me though, it's been a struggle in my life to discipline myself, to have to do more. Now, okay, I pray the way everybody else, everybody prays. You know, like there's, there's times when you're supposed to pray, like I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm starting a meeting, we should probably pray. You know, like uh, we pray before service, pray before meals, you know, and then, and then, hey, when I think about it, or what, I pray a lot in the car, you know, because what else am I going to do? And, um, and uh, you know, when something comes up, I, pr I think about it, though I think about it, and then I pray, right? Just like everybody. But I've never been really good at being devoted to prayer. 
And I, and I think that there is something, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that it's not a good thing. All of those ways that we pray, I think, are great. It reminds us that God is right here. It brings him into moments. When I think about it, it is a good thing. But I think there is power in a dedicated time, a devoted time for prayer. Um, a couple of years ago, I, um, I was actually listening to a teaching that was done by a Buddhist monk. And he was, he was talking about the benefit of meditation. Meditation, right? And he was talking about things, and it wasn't, it wasn't like, kind of, kind of wasn't a spiritual talk. It was just about the, the, the positive um, effects of meditation. And I know, I know I'm not supposed to listen to Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim teachers, blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever. Um, but here's what I do know. As I listen to him talk about meditation, I started thinking about all of the scriptures that I knew about meditation, right? That there, were, there is scripture, especially in the Psalms. The Psalms are packed with scripture about meditation. And then I started thinking, the Psalms were like 400 years before Buddha was even born. How does he have the angle on, or the corner on meditation? Why did we get away from this idea? I mean, listen to the Psalms. It says, blessed is the one who, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. And then... Chapter 48, it says, within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Cause me to understand the way of your precepts, that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. And then, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. And it goes on and on and on over and over, this idea of meditation. It's not, it wasn't new with the Buddhists. It wasn't new with the Hindus. This is an ancient Jewish practice of meditation. And as I thought about it, I thought, why don't we talk about that? Why don't we do it? Why isn't that part of our connection, our relationship with God? And so I started studying it. Started thinking, what, what would it look like to meditate? And there, honestly, there's nothing Christian out there. Like, trying to find out what it looks like to meditate. There's not much out there. And so, um, you know what I did? I learned some from, go, calm yourself. I learned some from Hindus, where they talk about transcendental meditation. I learned a lot about what it meant, what it means to focus in a moment and to control your mind in a moment. There's a lot to learn there. I learned a lot about posture and what posture can do when it comes to meditation. And I, and I learned all of this stuff, and I did some research, and I decided I'm going to try it. Now, I'm, I'm going to say that, I, that when I do this meditation, it is 100% on the Word of God. It is on the, it's on the character of God, or the Word of God, or the, or the reality of the Gospel. That's where I do my meditation. But, but I don't think, I just think it's crazy that we've left meditation to be the thing that all of those other religions do. That's not the way it was. And so I started doing this, and I gotta tell you, it was difficult, and it was powerful, and it was interesting, and, um, and I kinda got addicted to it for a while, and it was really great. And uh, honestly, but the same thing happened. Over the course of time, you know, uh, life comes in, and the demands of time and all the rest, and. And now it's just something I do kind of here and there. And as I, um, as I was reading this scripture, and you know, I, I think about it when it comes to what am I supposed to teach about, but I also want to think about it. What does it mean for me? Um, as I was reading this scripture, I just felt like God was saying, this, this is something you need to push back in on. 
You need to spend more time meditating because it was a wonderful opportunity to just be quiet. I felt like God was speaking to me in ways I hadn't heard in a long time because I, had, I just allowed myself time. I allowed myself to be open to listening to him. And um, now, <clears throat> I, I bring all of that up just to be honest with you about what I think God is doing in me, but also to say, I was thinking about it and I thought, um, maybe there are people in our church who want to investigate what medica meditation could look like. And, um, and so I thought, you know, if there's anybody who's interested, um, that maybe we try something on Tuesday night. Uh, this Tuesday night, if you're around, um, if you're available, I think we'll just, we'll get together at Fox Hills, and if anybody wants to kind of dig into that idea of meditation, we'll do a little seminar, um, and, um, and we'll see where it goes. Anybody interested in that, by the way, first off? Is it, like, worth at least considering it? Okay. Um, all right. What's that? It's gone there. Somebody else is doing Tuesday night? I'm the worst. What's, and we've got something Monday night and Wednesday. Thursday night this week. Thursday night. It's going to be Thursday night. Like I said, Thursday night. I've been, I was thinking Thursday night. I was thinking earlier that maybe we should do Thursday night, though, on Thursday. Excellent. Um, all right. Uh, but the, the point is, I just... And here's what I know. There are plenty of ways to be devoted to prayer. But as I was talking about this, I just, I, I realized maybe this is an opportunity for us to, to dig into something. So Thursday night, 6.30, Fox Hills. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see, where, we'll see where it goes, but be ready. We're, gonna, we're not just going to talk about it, we're going to do it, all right? Um, okay, devoted, the, the, the apostles teaching, devoted to fellowship, devoted to the breaking of bread devoted to prayer. That's, it's this, I think it's a wonderful picture of what these first believers thought was important. But there's one more instance of this word devoted that I want to talk about. And it, uh, it's actually, it happens before this. It's actually the first time this word um, proskatereo comes up in scripture. And it, it comes up in the, in the book of Mark. Now, um, it, it's in the life of Jesus. And it's a story that happened pretty early in Jesus' ministry. Jesus is, has started uh, performing miracles. People are getting healed. Demons are being cast out. All of this stuff. And the word is spreading. spreading. People from all over the place. Like, not just from the towns surrounding, but people from other distant countries are coming to see Jesus. And the crowds are getting crazy. I mean, you, you picture it. Like, if somebody was actually healing people, can you imagine what it would be like nowadays? Like, I mean, people were, people were coming through and, and were pressing in on him. And, they, and at one point, Jesus says, let's go out, let's leave, let's get out of town. And he says, let's go um, over by the sea. And they went over by the sea, and it didn't, it didn't help, because all the crowds followed him. And it was getting a little scary. And this is what Jesus says. He, it says, and he told his disciples that a boat should stand ready for him because of the crowd, so they would not crush 